Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, so I've been, uh, I've been challenged uh, to occasionally go back and preach a few messages uh, regarding the home and the family. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, you get to be my guinea pigs as I begin to uh, uh, put together some thoughts uh, for a family-style revival. Um, and so um, God's been helping me, been praying about this, and I, I pray that it will be a blessing to you tonight. Colossians chapter 3. Read the story some time ago of a man who was uh, having a, a pretty typical day. And uh, one day he, uh, he's there in his house. He happens to look out the window and he sees something bizarre, something that he'd never seen before uh, going on at the neighbor's house. And what is happening is there is a, there's a girl from the basement window that's waving and tapping and banging on the window. And he's watching this and uh, he's asking himself, what, what could this possibly be? See, she seems as though she's in distress. She is able to get herself through that window, and because they had made eye contact together, this girl came over to his house uh, frantic and in trouble and, and obviously needed help. He uh, uh, let her come into his house. They began to call the, the authorities, police. She's in distress. She's saying all kinds of uh, crazy things that he can't believe about uh, being a prisoner. She's been there for years. Uh, she's, been, uh, she's been abused. And, uh, and he says, okay, we're going to get you some help. And she says, I'm not leaving until we get the other two girls out. And so this man became a hero because he assisted in the time of need the horror that was happening next door to him was being perpetrated by an evil person named Ariel Castro, who had kidnapped three teenage girls and kept them bound in his basement for 11 years as prisoners. Can you imagine that this was happening next door to you? Unspeakable evil that was happening less than 50 feet from his home. This man was uh, arrested, Ariel Castro, and uh, on July 26th, he pled guilty to 937 charges. Most of them you wouldn't even want to know about. But they included kidnapping, rape, and murder. He was sentenced to life life in prison with no possibility of parole, plus an additional 1,000 years. Lock him up and throw away the key. See, the problem is that on earth, we have no punishment to fit that kind of crime. Can you say amen? Thank God that there is a God in heaven who will take every injustice and he will make it 
right. See, the amazing thing to me about this story, though, beyond the depravity of the human condition, is the ability of a sociopath like him to maintain an outward appearance of normalcy. He had lived, uh, this man who rescued that girl, he had lived there for a year. Other neighbors uh, in, in the, on the street there, they testified, you know, the news as they do, they come and begin speaking to the neighbors. Did you have any clue? Did you have any knowledge? Did you see anything? Did you hear anything? And you know what they all say? We had no idea. How could we have known? Everything appeared normal. From biography.com, the story of this man had a little clip that I'm just going to give you here. It says, while holding the women captive in his home, Castro maintained a seemingly normal outside life. Family members still came to visit him. Even though he was using locks to keep them from going into the basement and other parts of the house, he also continued to work as a school bus driver He played the bass guitar with local bands. And surprisingly, this man even attended prayer vigils for one of the missing girls that was locked up in his basement where he met with anguished members of her family. Unthinkable, right? To think that here's a man doing unspeakable things behind closed doors and On both sides of his house, there's a whole neighborhood around him and a whole community around him that has no idea how evil that he really is. Isn't it frightening tonight to think? I mean, this this is the kind of thing that makes you want to stay home and lock the door and never leave, right? But it is frightening to me to think what kind of evil can be occurring behind closed doors. And with that thought in mind, at differing levels of, of uh, injustice, and you know, I, I don't want to accuse anybody of that level of evil here tonight, but it is very possible for us, like this man, to put on a front that everything is okay. Everything's normal. Nothing happening here, Right? Pastor, I'm all good. How you doing, brother? Great. Nice to see you. Everything's good? Yeah, everything's great. But when people go home, that's where many times the most evil parts of our lives are exposed. And so this is a message tonight. This is a scripture we're going to read. We're going to see something that ought to be common sense, that ought to be at work in every Christian life, and yet... It is not. We should be like Christ. I mean, that's kind of in the name. We're called Christians, right? And to be a Christian simply means that we ought to behave like Jesus behaved. But as a pastor, I know better that oftentimes when the door closes, when we're not in public view, when we don't have the the light of what everybody sees shining on us, that is the time when things are exposed that are definitely not Christian. When words are spoken, when deeds and actions are taken, that words that you would be embarrassed to say them uh, when you're here at, at the church service, 
But good, godly Christian people, normally on the outside, can go home and begin to treat each other with spite and with contempt. And I want to examine tonight this scripture, which is fairly simple and yet so powerful. This is a message I've titled, Unchristian Home. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. As it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Unchristian home. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, thanking you again for the possibility that our lives can be changed, that we can repent and we can live clean. God, I'm asking you that behind closed doors, Lord, that you would change that person. It is one thing to see our public image changed, but God, we want you to change the inner man, the one who is exposed when we're at home in front of our family and our loved ones. We're praying tonight that you would minister to that person in this place even during this time. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say, Amen. Let me begin firstly where our scripture begins, and that is by speaking about God's elect. God's elect. Our scripture said in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Speaking to the believers. He's, here's, uh, here's the Apostle Paul speaking to the church there in the city of Coloss. And he is reminding them of something that you and I need to be reminded of very often. And that is that we are special. My mom told me I'm special. I'm not saying special like that. We are special. And let me tell you what I mean by that, what the Bible means when it uses the word elect. So the original Greek word behind that is very similar. It's the Greek word eklektos. And what this should produce in you, when you see the word elect in the Bible, this should give you a radical sense of appreciation. Some people see that word elect and, and they say, <coughs> that's right, I have been elected. Like a politician. A reason to be proud, a reason to show off an accomplishment, a reason to look down your nose. And many times, this is how people interpret this doctrine of election. But that's not the way that we should see it. When you realize that God has elected you, that God has chosen you, what that should produce is what comes to follow in our scripture, the fruits of of the Spirit. It means that you won the lottery. It means that you've been given, you've been granted something that you do not deserve. You ever seen Toy Story? All the little green men in the rocket ship game? The claw. It moves. And it comes down and it grabs one of the little green men and what does he say? Brothers, I've been chosen. Farewell. <laughs> and he's all excited. He has no idea. He's about to get fed to the dog, right? But with God, we have been 
elected. He has chosen us of all the billions of sinners in the history of humanity. God chose you. Why? Because you were smarter than everybody else? No. Because you're better looking? No way. Because you're more spiritual? Far from it. The reason that God looked down on planet Earth and decided to save you, to send His Son, to shed His blood to cover your sins, what that should do to you is not say, wow, I must be a pretty good guy. No, it should be the opposite. I don't deserve God's attention. And God, if He has chosen me, it means that it's something very special. Not a gift of entitlement. Not that we deserved it because of how great we are. Far from it. No, because of how great He is. It reminds me of the story of Abraham. Abraham was not that much different from the rest of his generation. But out of all the people on the earth at that time, God chose to give His promise to this man named Abram. Abram, will you follow me? Sure, God, I'll follow you. Then based on that on that obedience, Abram, that your faith, it was counted to him for righteousness. And from Abram came all the, 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 the descendants of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. God, why? Why is it Abram? Why, and not his next door neighbor. Abram, he, 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 in his heart, he should have a sense of incredible gratitude. God, why did you select me? And that should produce an appreciation. And see, when we have that healthy appreciation, God's elect, then that should produce something in you that says, you know what? I want to please my Father. God, I, I, I want to be filled with your Spirit. And I want that Spirit to change me and make me more like you. It should put our attention back on the God who elected, not upon self. If you've got a funky doctrine about election, it's pro- it, it, it comes through in the way that you view God and view yourself. The way that we should view God is the, is the, is the amazing God of the universe. We don't understand everything about Him, but we understand, according to Scripture, that He has elected a few. He has chosen. We know that uh, there's obedience involved, there's faith involved, but this should put our attention back on God. Think with me for just a moment. Remember the one who chose you. That when you deserved destruction, He showed you patience. God, if He, if he was, <laughs> He would be right to strike down Every sinner at the moment sin occurred, right? I mean, if, it, if I was God, that's probably what I would do. The moment somebody gets out of line, zap, lightning bolt, cut off an arm. We'll see if he does it again. Aren't you glad God's not like that? He's patient. When you were rebellious against him, there was time probably in your life when you doubted if he even existed. 
and you spoke against God. And even God having perfect knowledge and having ears to hear every word that came out of your mouth and every thought that ran through your wicked brain and God didn't fry you like an egg. Wow. God, you're pretty kind, aren't you? You're pretty patient. When you, when you doubted him, he still ordered your steps and brought you to the place in life where you surrendered to him. Isn't that incredible? That when you were stealing from God, he didn't take your job away from you, even though he should have. He showed mercy. He showed kindness. Even when there was a time of your life when you spit in his face, he sent his only begotten son, who had his face spat upon so that your sins could be forgiven. This is, this is what all uh, connected to your selection, your election by the God who had the right to destroy you. Out of all the sinners on the face of the earth, out of all the pagan idolaters that surround the world, out of all the false religions and all of the atheists and all of the people committing gross and violent sins in this world today, we are included. Why did God pick you? I can't answer that question, but what I can say is that when you realize how special it is that God saved you, it should produce an appreciation. Thank you, God, that you made me different from the rest. Many are called. It's the same word in the Greek when Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. Eklektos. Many people have heard the gospel, very few have been chosen. So, as a result of this election, what it should produce is to spend our lives trying to become more like our Father in heaven. If he has adopted us into his family, how much did the adopted child do to be adopted? Very little, right? In the case of an adoption, for example, my, my cousin was adopted from China when she was less than a year old. What did she do to deserve that? There's, there's so many millions of other babies in China that stayed behind. Why her? And yet my aunt went to China, my mom went with her, picked up this, this smiling little baby, and now she's an American citizen. She's going to college in, in Iowa. You know, it's like, what did she do? And this should cause us to begin thinking, God, this is something special and precious and rare, something that we ought to honor, something that we ought to be grateful for, something that if we've been adopted into your family, then God, I want to do whatever it takes to please you and make myself like you. That's what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit. The same God who saved you also sends His Spirit into you to produce the fruits of, your, of the Spirit. See, this, this is the evidence that you are saved. This is the evidence that you belong to God, that you are becoming more like Him. Did I say 
that you're going to sprout angel wings and you're going to be perfect overnight. I did not say that, did I? Rewind the tape. No, I didn't say that. But what I did say is that the evidence of God's Spirit in your life is that you are putting off the former person that you used to be, and day by day you are becoming more and more like your Father who is in heaven. You're becoming more like Him and not less. That's the evidence tonight. Now, God has not called us to be the Holy Spirit for other people, right? So it's not my job to go around and say, uh, hey, hey, look, hey, you know, if I was you, I would do this, this, this. And there's a place for godly counsel in the kingdom. But only you can give yourself this scorecard in the end. Character traits that are revealed by God should be evident in your life. So listen to this list that the Apostle Paul gives us because these are character traits, ultimately, of our Father. They show us how He first treated you. Okay? Stick with me. We're going to go somewhere. It says, Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Hasn't God shown you tender mercies? Kindness. Hasn't God shown kindness toward And even when he corrects you and even when he's harsh with you, even his harshness is kindness. Isn't that true? Humility. Jesus gave us the uh, ultimate example of humility. Uh, uh, the, the second person of the Trinity, creator of all things, at the right hand of God, got a cushy spot in heaven, and yet humbled himself to be born into a manger. Humility. These are all character traits of God. Meekness. That means great strength under control. Meekness means having the ability to, to, to kill someone, having the justification to, to do violence, and yet choosing to hold back. Meekness. That's, that's a character trait of God. And long-suffering. Isn't that great? That, let me give you the Greek breakdown of that word. Are you ready? It means suffering for a long time. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving. Isn't this a great description of the God that chose us? Of our Father, the family we've been adopted into. This is the nature of His kingdom. That we put up, that He puts up with us. He bears with us, right? Uh, it, it, maybe you've heard that term. You, you say to somebody, if you're having a hard time or helping them, and you say, uh, just bear with me for a moment. Just have patience. Just give me a few moments. Help me here because, listen, this is how God treats you. And ultimately, He forgave us. Forgiveness, forgiveness, it means that we deserved God's judgment, but because of the cross, Christ took our punishment. The gospel means good news that we can put our trust in Him, we can repent, we can turn from our sins, and when God looks at you, He no longer sees you in your sin. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't see your, your past life. He doesn't see your mistakes. No, He has forgiven you, which means 
And now God can have a relationship with you. So yes, Pastor, that's, that's great. That's the God that I serve. Yes, it is. That is your Father. Now it's going to get real. Because all of those things we just talked about describe God perfectly. But they do not describe you perfectly. For many believers, this is something we pay lip service to. This is something we say yes and amen to. Yes, my father who has suffered with me a long time, he has bared with me, he has forgiven me, he has, done in, uh, he has shown great kindness and humility and meekness toward me, but I feel no responsibility to be like him. And it shows behind closed doors. When, when Pastor Adam's not around, it shows when your kids get on your nerves and you raise the volume a little bit and the, and the neck vein starts bulging. And all of a sudden, all of that fruit of the Spirit, very spiritual stuff like the Father in Heaven, all of that uh, humility, meekness, long-suffering, what, what, what happens all that? See, if we truly are adopted by this Father, if this Holy Spirit truly lives in you, then it really ought to bother you when you are not reflecting His nature and His character. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody name it off the top of your head? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. This is how we measure how spiritual you are. By the way, the true measure is not the way you act in public. The true measure is not the way you act in church. The true measure is when you're alone. Or when you're driving and some idiot flips you off. Whoa, pastor, that's weird. Am I supposed to have self-control then, too? I thought I could just cast this Holy Spirit out of my life for a few moments while I tell him who, that his, his mother was not married. While I pronounce curses on people. So does the Holy Spirit still live in you When you're at home, when you're at home, when you're with the people who care about you the most, it is so troubling to me that the home is often the last place that we think we need to change. If anything, it should be the first place, the first place where things start to change. And you know, if you still got problems in public, yeah, we can deal with that. That's okay. But if you are treating your people right, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. See, the thing is that your family and the people at home that you live with have a way of getting on your nerves more than other people. Am I right? Boy, everybody was excited to say amen for that one. Because they know you the best. They know what gets on your... They know which buttons they can press. Let's see what happens when we push this button. Beep! Bah! 
But see, part of being a Christian, part of living for Jesus, part of having a Father in heaven is understanding that just because somebody pushed your button does not give you an excuse to act like a sinner, to act just like the the person next door who doesn't know Christ and is on their way to hell. If I put a camera in your home and watched you for a period of seven days, and I put the same camera in your neighbor's home, the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, would there be any difference? That's the true measure. See, I know, I know that it's easy to lose your temper. I lose my temper sometimes. But what is surprising to me is when Christians think that that's okay and make no attempt to change it. I guess that's just how I am, Pastor. Is that what you would say to a drunkard? Is that what you would say to a family member killing themselves with alcohol? I guess it's just the way he is. It's just never going to change. No, there's hope in the gospel to change people, right? If it applies to a drunkard, if it applies to someone who smokes cigarettes, then it also applies to people who lose their temper. You need to change that. I'm not surprised that sometimes Christians find themselves cursing and using foul language. I'm not surprised by that. You know why? Because... The nature of life, that ha- sometimes it happens. What is surprising to me is when it continues on for years and decades and never changes, and somebody says the right thing to you, pushes the right button, and all the filth of your old life comes spewing back out, puking all over your children. Is that okay? Is that evidence of the Spirit of God? Sexual sin. See, I'm not surprised in our generation where everything is so saturated by sexuality, right? I'm not surprised that sometimes Christians slip up in this area. What is surprising is how many don't care about it, think it's okay, think that God excuses it, think that just because you haven't been struck by a lightning bolt yet, that God is okay with that perversion. It's not okay. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is holy and will not put up with perversion and wickedness in the secret place. You will pay a price. It will compute out. And you might be able to keep it a secret from other people. It is not a secret from God. He sees the secret place, doesn't he? I see husbands, oftentimes, become cold, despondent, uncaring, and unloving toward the wife that puts up with you and washes your clothes and feeds you. I'm not surprised that husbands do that because, hey, that's the nature of the male species sometimes. We can be unloving. That's why God commanded us to love our wives because that's kind of hard for us to do. I'm not surprised that men can become cold toward their wives. I am surprised that it remains that way. 
that you're doing nothing to improve it. That it doesn't concern you or you think that God doesn't care. That you don't think about your wife and your children. It doesn't surprise me sometimes that wives can become vindictive and open up file drawers. Aha! You're just like your father. You know how painful that is to a man? I'm not surprised that women can become like that, can hold grudges, because that's a part of the sinful nature that that we have. What is surprising is when it doesn't change, when it remains the same, when you are okay with being vindictive toward a man that works hard to supply for your family and provide for you. Can we go on? Name-calling, verbal abuse. Hey, I've been around long enough that I know just because you say I'm a Christian doesn't mean that your mouth gets saved. You know that tongue of yours is still a fire that is set on fire by hell? That tongue of yours is a little spark which can cause a raging forest fire? That's true for Christians too. And the way that you speak, I'm not surprised that sometimes your tongue can get out of control. I am surprised when it doesn't change. Is that how Jesus would speak? Is that how you would speak if Jesus was standing next to you? The truth is, Jesus is always standing next to you and listening to you. Why is it so hard for us to simply be a Christian when we're at home? We have loose standards. If it's not okay in public, it's also not okay at your house. If you would get offended by me screaming at you and shouting and calling you names, would you be offended if I did that to you? then why do you do it to your children? Why, husband, do you scream and shout at your wife like that and expect, "Ah, she should just take it? Why would a wife scream and yell and call names to her husband and think it's okay? It's not okay. Verbal abuse often leads to physical abuse. They're connected. And can I just remind you, This is not supposed to happen in Christian homes. Let's go back to what you and I should look like in public and in our homes. Are you ready? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Even when she called me that name, yes. Even when she didn't live up to my expectations, yes. The same God who showed you tender mercy. You can reflect that if you're a child of God. Kindness. Can I tell you something about kindness? Kindness is not something that must be earned. Jesus was kind toward people that were crucifying him. He prayed for them. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake? When someone attacks you, 
someone slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek. But not at home. Why? Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. I want to tell you tonight, we have to figure out how to practice forgiveness in our marriages. You as a couple, if you're a married couple in this place, or you have children in the home, it is going to be critical for you to process through what forgiveness really means. Because you're setting an example for your children of what forgiveness looks like. And if you are the person who's always bringing up the record from the past, if you are the one that your child, you know, they messed up seven years ago and you're still holding it against them, you haven't forgiven them, then how is it one day you're going to tell them, oh, little Johnny, guess what? I've got good news for you. God wants to forgive you. Oh, really? Is the forgiveness that God has anything like your forgiveness, Dad? Your forgiveness, Mom? Because I don't want that kind of forgiveness. The one that brings up wrongs when I failed my test or when I came home from school and the bad report, and you never let that go. Let me stick up for little Johnny and little Susie tonight. They're still learning. And guess who they're learning from? We've got to learn how to forgive. In our marriage, if you want a marriage to thrive, it's never going to thrive without forgiveness. The point here tonight is that I understand nobody's perfect here. We all fall short from time to time. But shouldn't it be true if God has forgiven us, if God has shown mercy and grace and and patience and long-suffering toward us, Shouldn't we be trying to show that also imperfectly? Yes, but at least making an attempt. I close with this very disappointing story that I heard a few weeks back. There's a ministry called RZIM Ministry. It's a powerful organization around the world preaching the gospel and doing great work for the kingdom. This organization founded by a man that I have a lot of respect for, Ravi Zacharias, who went into eternity last year. And the goal of this, uh, this ministry is to, uh, according to their website, it says to reach and challenge those who shape the ideas of culture with the credibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Involved training in, in pastors around the world in apologetics doing a great work in many places. I personally have listened to Ravi Zacharias' preaching and teaching for many years and benefited greatly from him. That's why it was so confusing and disappointing to hear last month that the founder of RZIM, Ravi Zacharias, was accused of long-term sexual misconduct after he had died. The accusations came up. The ministry hired a private investigator to see if these allegations were true. And on December 23rd, they released a statement. And this is what it said. I want you to listen carefully as we close. The investigation indicates this assessment of Robbie's behavior to be true. That he did indeed engage in sexual misconduct. It's deeply troubling 
and wholly inconsistent with the man that Ravi Zacharias presented both publicly and privately to so many people over more than four decades of public ministry. We are heartbroken at learning this, but feel it necessary to be transparent and to inform our staff, donors, and supporters, even while this investigation continues. So here's a man on the outside, in public, doing an incredible work, teaching, his preaching is magnificent. But behind closed doors, unspeakable perversion that I couldn't even tell you about tonight. How is this possible? I believe tonight, I, I, listen, I believe Ravi is in heaven. I believe that he was a, I don't know, I, I don't want to try even to excuse these, these allegations. But what we should learn from that, what we should take away from that, is that it's not impossible for you to put on a face, to put on a public display at church, and to go home and act like the regular sinner across the street from your house. It shouldn't be like that. We should have what the Bible calls integrity. You know what integrity means? The root word is integer, the mathematical term. It means a whole number. It means it's not a fraction, it's not a decimal. An integer means number one, number two, number three, and so on. That's an integer. It means it's not divided, it is a whole number. To have a life of integrity means that you are not divided. The person that you are in public is the person that you are at home. Do you know who really pays the price when you live a divided, fractional life? The next generation pays the price. The children who see you one way and come home and see you another way. They'll pay the price. And I want to encourage you tonight, it doesn't have to be like that. The same God who showed His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His long-suffering, if He is your Father, then He will abundantly pour out His Spirit on your life. This is why we have an altar. I don't want to leave you feeling hopeless tonight because we serve a God of miracle, resurrection, life, and power. You can change. I can change. Thank God for that. We don't have to remain the same. I want you to judge your life right now, not based on the image that you are projecting here tonight. What about at home? The way you speak to your wife, your husband, your children, your boss that you don't like, the guy who cut you off in traffic. That's the real you, isn't it? Behind all the facades, behind all the images we throw up, God wants to deal with that person, and He can. He can change that person. You don't have to be that that miserable old codger. You don't have to be that belligerent person to push the right button and you blow up. You don't have to do that because we serve a God. We have a Father who is long-suffering. That means you can be long-suffering. We have a God who's patient. That means you can be patient. That He shows kindness and tender mercies. That means you can show kindness and tender mercies. But pastor, they deserve it. So did you. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. I appreciate your patience this evening.
believe God wants to speak to hearts tonight at this altar. It is at the home. It is behind closed doors where God wants to do His work. I'm not surprised. As I mentioned, so I don't want to re-preach my whole sermon. I'm not surprised when Christians slip up and make mistakes. I understand that can happen. I am surprised when it's a pattern. When you can go for years and years and years and years with the same slip up again and again. You say, Pastor, that's just who I am. That's just the way I am. God wants to change who you are. He wants to change the way you are. And He can if you will give Him access. If you will surrender and admit that you need help in this arena. Before we do anything else, I want to quickly ask you. You're here tonight. You're not right with God. Being honest for a moment, you say, Pastor, I know if I die tonight, I don't have a right relationship with God. I'm on my way to destruction. And what I need more than anything else is I need the hope that is in Christ. The hope that there is a God who will forgive me. And it's true tonight. He, because of what Christ did on the cross, God has forgiveness waiting for you if you will repent. If you will turn from sin and trust in Christ, then you can experience a miracle salvation. You can be born again, a new creation into God's kingdom, adopted into His family. You can become His child if tonight, if you'll turn and believe the gospel. If that's you, I want to pray for you quickly tonight. Unsaved or backslidden in your heart, I want to see your hand right here, right now. Is that someone here believing God? Believing God to bring salvation into your heart. Would you lift your hand so I can pray with you? Young person, old person, is there anyone here? Front to back, side to side, God's speaking to you. Would you respond right now? Please, please pray for me, Pastor. I'm not right with God. Anyone at all, quickly. Maybe on the line, watching our live stream right now. You need to respond. You need to reach out. We'll pray with you. Let me speak then and change this call. Let me speak to the believer. If you are here tonight and you claim that you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, if you claim that the Holy Spirit resides in your life, then you cannot also say, I can't change. <laughs> Those two things do not compute. Pastor, it's too hard. I'm just, uh, it's the way I've always been. It's always, it's the way I'm always going to be. The God you serve is a God of resurrection, life, and power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So I don't see anybody here who's not breathing tonight. But even if you weren't breathing, the Holy Spirit can bring dead things back to life. Your problem is not that big. Whatever your addiction is, maybe it's anger, maybe it's perversion and lust, maybe it's lies, being honest. Maybe your problem is with grudges and holding on to the past and being vindictive, being cold. Maybe, maybe your problem is with your speech and the names you call people and the abuse that you, that you uh, uh, inflict with your tongue. 
tell you something, that, whatever that problem is, it's not as big as the problem of death. And the God of resurrection, life, and power can do a miracle for you. The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit who wants to give you peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. And it's here at this altar. But you have to surrender to the Lord. You, you can't just sit in your seat and say, well, I hope one day I'll change. No, you've got to confess. You've got to repent. And that's what this altar is here for. We want to open up this altar for prayer. I believe tonight that God wants to change His children, that we ought to be more like Him. If we could all stand to our feet here tonight, I believe God's speaking to some hearts, not about the public persona and the people that you are when you're seen by others, but what about at home? What about when you're out of the public eye? Let's allow God to cleanse us and purify us and make us more like Him. This altar is open. Let's come tonight. Let's do some business with our Father, the one who wants to shape us and mold us and purify us. Reveal some things tonight. Expose some wickedness so that we can change. We can be purified. We can be sanctified. And that tomorrow we can be better than we are today. That's the hope of the gospel tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.